So I'm going to read from John's Gospel. There's two short passages. We'll start in chapter 14. Um, So it's John chapter 14. In the church Bibles, it's on page 1082. That's page 1082 in the blue church Bibles. John chapter 14, starting from verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then we'll go to John chapter 16, starting from verse 12, which is just over the page, on page 1084. John chapter 16, starting from verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you for giving us your word Thank you for giving us your spirit who authored the scriptures. May he speak to our hearts now. And may we each one have that deep sense that we have met with the living God in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, this is a miracle. This is a mystery. And it's best explained and introduced to us, I believe, by the Son of God himself, the eternal companion of the Spirit. The context of our reading is that the disciples had already become convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were very reluctant to believe that the Messiah would die. And now Jesus spoke of going away they were dismayed at a sense of loss. And puzzlingly, Jesus said it would be better for them if he went. All this going away and coming again, they were confused and perplexed. So Jesus explained in this reassuring passage the teaching about the Spirit. And you notice that we've had two readings. We could have had seven or eight because Jesus keeps returning to this passage, this uh, subject. And like the brilliant teacher that he was, he puts it on layer by layer as they begin to understand more. Jesus said that he was leaving the world, but the disciples wouldn't lose him. He said he would send them another advocate, 
comforter, a helper, a teacher, a mentor, just like Jesus always was. He is described as the spirit of truth, revealing Jesus through the word of God, reminding them of what he had said and teaching about things to come. That's in chapter 14, verse 17. In chapter 20, he's referred to as the Holy Spirit who promotes the character that God approves, developing Christ-likeness. So we learn the Spirit honors Jesus and explains God's word. He testifies about Jesus, chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, he will testify about me. He will bear witness. He will explain the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah, just like Jesus on the walk to Emmaus. He would remind the disciples exactly what Jesus had taught, and he would reveal more about the Lord. He glorifies Jesus. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me. The spirit's task is to be a signpost, a spotlight, turning away from self towards Jesus. He is personal, not an inanimate force of God, but like Jesus, he comforts, he teaches, he strengthens. The scripture tells us he can be grieved. But the Spirit is fully God, the mighty servant and helper of the Son serving the Father. And now, wonderfully, as the enabler, the helper, the comforter, the strengthener of believers like you and me. He would be the continuing presence of Jesus for the disciples. Now, how can it be better that Jesus goes away and sends us the Spirit? Well, Jesus in his bodily form could only be in one place. When he was in Jerusalem, he wouldn't be in Southampton. But I live in Southampton. But the miracle of the Spirit is that this is Jesus, this is God with us everywhere, always. And the Spirit's job is to teach Christians about their Lord. The Bible Society this month just gave us a little story of a Chinese man in his mid-twenties he found a Bible, and he found faith in Christ. And he joined a little rural group of believers, about 30 of them. They had no Bible. And they said, would you teach us the word of God? He was a very baby Christian, but he had the Bible, and he had the Spirit within him. And the Spirit taught him and he taught the Bible. And that congregation of 30 is a bit larger now. It's a thousand. The Spirit is the perfect teacher who knows and expounds the truth. 
but he also persuades unbelievers of their need of salvation. More about that later. And so we move to our second uh, uh, topic. The Spirit fills God's people and he transforms lives while he's about it. Chapter 14, verse 17. You know him, said Jesus to the disciples, for he lives with you and will be in you. Already the disciples had experienced the Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. They had seen him at work. They knew what he did. The Spirit, in the form of a dove, had come in power upon Jesus at his baptism, enabling him, empowering him for his ministry. And now that same dynamic energy of the living God will be in them. In you. In Old Testament times, there was the tabernacle, God's mobile home on earth. The God who fills the universe and any other universes there may be, camping out with his people. And sometimes God spoke more personally to individuals, to Moses, to Samuel, to the prophets. And sometimes the Spirit of God came upon individuals for a particular task. Saul and David to equip them for kingship. The prophets to proclaim God's word. But always in the Old Testament, the Spirit comes for a time and for a purpose. And his presence could be lost, as happened in Saul's case. And David feared might happen to him. But now, God's Spirit is for all his people, everywhere, for all their lives. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, said Peter at Pentecost. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Jesus said the Spirit would be in them. God's indwelling presence in every Christian. I've got a couple more readings for you. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Acts chapter 1. And that will be on page 1092. 1092. I'm editing these verses a little bit. So it would take Acts 1, 3 to 5, and then the first few verses of chapter 2. After his suffering, Jesus appeared to the apostles and spoke about the kingdom of God. He gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Wind and fire, those expressions are full of Old Testament allusions. We've thought in that video, wind or breath, the same word in the Hebrew. God's breath, God's spirit brings life. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Or Ezekiel 37, the vision of the valley of dry bones. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord says to these bones, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. The wind of God, the spirit of God, it gives life and the fire of God's presence. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from the bush. Then he said, I am the God of your father. The fire of God's presence, the presence of the most holy God. The Lord your God is a consuming fire. And at Pentecost, these believers encountered God in awesome power coming upon them. God's life-giving energy, his holy moral perfection, his sovereign authority for each one individually, men and women, learned and untaught, young and old. And believers at Pentecost and right through the book of Acts and in the New Testament, they were filled with the Spirit, filled to the brim and overflowing. Quite a sort of liquid word this, isn't it? And references to the baptism in the Spirit, with the Spirit, to be immersed, to be drenched in that life-giving energy of God. What about your life? What about mine? Does the Spirit bring us that special measure of divine power and joy and love? In Acts, sometimes tongues praising God and witnessing. And Paul describes this as a continuous experience. Be filled with the Spirit, he says in Ephesians 5. Not just at conversion, when love and joy are abound, that word means go on being filled. Well, what does the indwelling spirit do? He is Jesus 
in our hearts, glorifying him, witnessing to him, reminding us that we are God's children. That's why we can know the assurance of sins forgiven. He explains scripture to us. Undoubtedly the word of God and we ask the spirit to teach us. He empowers service. He promotes holiness. Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit. We can't live without him. He's Jesus in our hearts. We can ask him when we need guidance. He will guide and he will strengthen us. He transforms. Think of Peter, who was reduced to a jelly by a servant girl, questioning whether he had been with Jesus, and then fearlessly proclaiming the gospel to thousands in the day of Pentecost. Or Saul, the persecutor of the church, ruthless man, becomes Paul, the apostle. Or John Newton, that slave trader who became touched by the gospel, became a great preacher and minister and abolitionist. You know, I, I sometimes think with amusement, you see a, a, a sign which says, 14th century in, and as a historian, I think that looks interesting. I wonder if they've got bread plates and straw mattresses and no hot shower. 14th century, really? No, it's been transformed. And when the spirit of the living God comes into the hearts of believers, he transforms. It's no tinkering job. It's a complete transformation. We must let the spirit do his work in our hearts. Don't grieve him, says Paul. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5. That will also mean keeping in step with Christ's family. I wonder if you'll watch the state funeral tomorrow. Hundreds marching in step. You know the story of the proud granny who was watching a parade once and uh, she nudged her neighbor and said look at our Willie he's the only one in step oh dear oh dear there they will be on parade guided by the beat of a bass drum the step of the right marker and the orders of sergeant majors which you won't hear on television only one in step if you're the only one in step in the fellowship of God's people, beware. The fellowship of God's people, guided by the spirit of truth, will help to keep us all on the right track. The spirit of God, keep in step with the spirit. Now, so far, we've looked at the spirit's work in the life of the individual believer and the community. But his ambition is to win the world for Christ, to honor Jesus, to whom the Father gave this world. The Spirit is grieved at unbelief, and he does something about that. He's appalled at the hardness of the human heart. 
And he makes people responsive to the gospel. Only he can do this. Our evangelism is pointless unless we seek the energizing power of God's spirit. Only he can get into human hearts that are hardened by sin. May I tell you something about the Holy Spirit? He can get everywhere. He can get into prison cells and minister to believers whose names you don't know, but you can commend them to Christ and his spirit will minister to them. He can get into the corridors of power in the Kremlin at this moment where you and I can't go. He can do acts of restraint and transformations in situations that you and I can't possibly tackle because he is the living energy of God, the miracle of the Spirit. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now in Acts, conversion is often accompanied by tongues, languages of communication and witness and praise to God. And this tells us something very important about the Spirit. He energizes God's people to evangelize the world. He kindles our love for Jesus and for others. He drives us to pray. He sets up encounters. Think of Philip meeting with the head of the civil service in Ethiopia in the desert. The Spirit convinces and convicts. And so we come to our third heading. The Spirit sends us and empowers God's mission. It is the Holy Spirit who sees to it that the church has all the gifts it needs for its mission. Gifts to build up the local church. Gifts to reach a lost world for God. Now there's much in the New Testament about gifts and I'm not going there this morning except to say that every Christian has one or more and all those gifts are important for the life of the church. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Peter, in his first epistle, chapter 4, writes this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And Peter uh, gives us an illuminating division, very roughly, into speaking and serving gifts, up front or behind the scenes. There are talkers, preachers, teachers, public leaders. And we're reminded we don't want to hear their bright ideas, but what God has to say. 
There are helpers, administrators, workers of every sort. And Peter says, don't rely on your capabilities and skills. Find your strength from God. And what's the object of it all? We've seen, really, to produce the fruit of Christ-like conduct and character. To build up the church, the body of Christ, for works of ministry. And to save the lost for the glory of Jesus. Friends, we must ask ourselves, what is our gifting? What is your area of service? Some are evangelists who make opportunities for the gospel. All of us are witnesses and must take opportunities when they arise. Think of Paul using every opportunity when he was on trial, when he was facing shipwreck, when he was facing a crowd that was trying to lynch him. And every time he managed to find an opportunity to preach the gospel. That's an evangelist making opportunities. Or Billy Graham at some sort of society dinner. And a lady said to him, I suppose, Dr. Graham, you've always been a churchgoer. No, ma'am, he said. Until I was 17, I hated church. Silence. You've got to ask the next question, haven't you? Oh, and what happened when you were 17? And then he gave it to them, all of them at the table. You see, that's an evangelist making an opportunity. Or a scripture reader going into a barrack room of soldiers. He was an old soldier himself, and he knew how to talk to these guys. He said, well, what are you sinners up to today? Sure enough, one lad immediately spun round, don't call me a sinner, I'm no sinner. Oh, he says, pulling out a New Testament from his pocket. There must be something wrong with my New Testament. What's your name? Joe Smith. All has sinned except Private Joe Smith of the Med Middlesex Regiment. And of course, immediately, there's a terrific conversation going on, isn't there? An evangelist making opportunities. But what about us taking opportunities? Always be ready, says Peter to reply to people who ask about our hope. And we can talk about our hope in Jesus. It's our privilege to work with the Spirit for the honor of Jesus and the glory of God. And God deems the humblest tasks the most glorious. Lord, give me the toolkit I need to help me reach my family, my workplace, my neighborhood with the gospel of your grace. Maybe knowledge we need of God's word, of words to express that love of God. It may be an opportunity to share the message we have. Knowledge, wisdom, discernment, tongues of expression, 
These are gifts of the Spirit. And there are opportunities, many opportunities, for us to serve God's family here on the front line in God's mission. Some speaking, some serving, all essential. God help us to respond for his glory in the power of his spirit. May it be so.